The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I'm Gia Kokotakis with an episode from the Lawfare Archive for July 1st, 2023. Yevgeny Prigozhin led a 24-hour mutiny against the Russian Ministry of Defense last week. At Lawfare, we discussed his history prior to this mobilization of Wagner troops, specifically focusing on his role in Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. For today's Archive episode, I picked an episode from October 23rd, 2020, in which Benjamin Wittes sat down with Scott R. Anderson, Susan Hennessy, and Quinta Jurassic to discuss warnings of Russian and Iranian efforts to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, October 23rd, 2020. It's been a wild couple days in disinformation in the electoral context. We got a warning from the intelligence community about Iranian interference in the election, and we got another one about Russian interference in the election. We've got fake Proud Boys threatening voters, but Google stopped most of it, at least to Gmail users. What's going on? We got a group to talk about it together. We got Scott Anderson. We got Susan Hennessy. We got Quinta Jurassic all in the virtual jungle studio to talk it over. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. And a lot of what we're going to do is pose questions because it's not entirely clear what's going on here. That's what we're here for. It's the Lawfare Podcast, October 23rd, Foreign Interference. It's happening. Susan, get us started. What happened yesterday evening and today in terms of intelligence community warnings about countries interfering in our electoral process? Yeah, so last night there was a somewhat dramatic and hastily called press conference uh, at about 7.30 p.m. Uh, featuring DNI Ratcliffe, FBI Director Ray, uh, the Director of CISA Chris Krebs, uh, and the head of NSD John Demers, in which they made this announcement um, that recent emails that had been sent to Democrats in Florida uh, essentially threatening them uh, 
saying that they needed to change their registration and vote for Trump and that and purporting to be from the Proud Boys, uh, a white supremacist group uh, that is supportive of President Trump, uh, that that in, in fact had come from Iranian actors um, and that this was an effort in election interference and, and uh, was foreign election interference and was disinformation. Um, and so in this press conference, the DNI Ratcliffe shared a few pieces of somewhat puzzling information. Um, so he said that both Iran and Russia had obtained voter registration information, um, but he didn't say from who or where. Um, and lots of voter registration information is commercially available. Some of it is even, is even publicly available. Um, but there was a little bit of a question whether or not he was suggesting this was somehow illicitly obtained information, if it was hacked, and mentioned that Russia had obtained this information as well. But despite the press conference going on at length about what Iran had done uh, with this uh, you know, sort of email hoax, uh, didn't say anything about what Russia was actually up to uh, with the information in question. So um, sort of left people scratching their heads, um, a little bit of potential freelancing by DNI Ratcliffe, who suggested that this uh, effort by the Iranians was designed to harm President Trump. Unclear sort of the full logic of that claim and whether or not it's actually uh, sort of backed by the intelligence in question. Um, fast forward to today, um, the New York Times this evening uh, reported that, in fact, the U.S. intelligence community has seen uh, sort of Russian attempts to to infiltrate various voter registration systems and other uh, sort of computer networks related to uh, election administration. Not a lot of detail about what exactly is happening, although it doesn't appear to be uh, anything that causes concern about whether or not the Russians could actually do things like change votes. Um, instead, it looks to be like the Russians are sort of rerunning the same 2016 playbook of penetrating systems, scanning systems, engaging in activity um, that, when amplified uh, and paired with disinformation, uh, might cause voters to lose confidence in the integrity of their voting systems writ large. Um, so there's a lot to unpack in terms of sort of the underlying substance of the claims, what we actually know, how sure we are about it. Um, and then there's another really interesting set of questions about what it means for the U.S. government to be engaging with the public, uh, whether or not this is part of a strategy that's going to unfold over the next two weeks of really, really forward-leaning uh, public engagement, lots and lots of information, very rapid declassification about a, a range of election interference measures and uh, sort of adopting an approach that sunlight is the best disinfectant, or if instead this was sort of an odd one-off uh, tied to this Iranian uh, activity uh, and potentially that this sort of press conference was really about Ratcliffe's ongoing efforts to sort of pull politicize intelligence um, in ways that he thinks might be favorable to Donald Trump's electoral interests. Um, so as you mentioned at the top, um, I, I think there are a lot more questions than answers. Um, but I, I don't think anybody should be surprised that we find ourselves here um, 12 days before the election. We knew this, is, this was coming for a long time. And, and now the question is um, how prepared the U.S. government is to weather it. All right. So there are, as you say that I said, a million questions there. So let me start with the question that I think is at the front of everyone's mind, which is why on earth do the Iranians think that imitating the Proud Boys urging people to vote for Donald Trump would actually hurt Donald Trump? 
Well, I think this is a case where Ron may be playing two layers deep chess. You know, they're seeing trying to project two moves ahead. I think they obviously knew that this email, which framed itself as trying to intimidate people into supporting Donald Trump, changing their party registration, things like that, would quickly be linked back to Donald Trump's statement in the first debate where he refused to denounce the Proud Boys. Now, he's been associating themselves himself kind of implicitly, but but increasingly clearly um, with this group, many of which are support him, uh, and that's tied into this kind of broader ecosystem of right-wing movements that have lots of intersections with Trump's support base and his supporters and even certain people in his administration and campaign. And so, you know, you have this idea that, okay, we're going to fake ourselves to look like people who President Trump has problematically been tied to as supporters of his and have them do something truly egregious, and then that's going to backfire on him and make him look worse. That's about as far as the reasoning appears to have gotten here. The, the problem with this is that it wasn't a very persuasive case to begin with. Pretty early on, experts who were looking at this seemed pretty readily convinced that this was not something that was executed by the Proud Boys. Uh, in fact, there was some other actor behind it. Uh, and then pretty quickly, we saw the government conclude, uh, and I think some private people also conclude around the same time, this was likely Iran and that this was a, an effort at mif- misinformation. Not the sort of thing that we see you know, certain other much more sophisticated actors doing where you have fake accounts replicating information, kind of weaving their way into the social atmosphere. This is really a prank email, for lack of a better way to put it. One that clearly was intended to have a disinformation effect and a political, a public impact effect, but one that wasn't particularly sophisticated, I don't think was particularly effective. And that may have been a, a little bit of a tactical blunder, or maybe just not as big a tactical move as some people might be thinking, something where they thought there was going to sway an election. Remember, Iran is a provocateur uh, in a lot of cases with the Trump administration. They're trying to get the Trump administration to overreact to build political pressure against the Trump administration around its maximum pressure campaign against Iran. So this could have been much like attacks against oil shipments in the uh, mid-2019 in the Persian Gulf, uh, much like lots of militia activities in Iraq going on now. Those are become much more serious in recent months. But this could be another act of provocation to try and bait the Trump administration into doing something, overreacting in some way, as opposed to trying to have a direct impact on the election. Yeah. And and look, you know, to Scott's point, that's, you know, I think that's a really good explanation of sort of the administ- the, the best case for understanding uh, why Ratcliffe would be suggesting this was in fact designed to harm President Trump. It's not clear, though, that the actual, that there's actually any underlying intelligence uh, reporting or evidence to support that assertion. Um, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer went on Rachel Maddow last night, said that, that uh, the Congress had been briefed and their understanding based on their briefing was that there wasn't intelligence supporting the idea that this was designed to harm or help anybody, uh, but instead this was just an effort to sort of create chaos in the, in the election generally. Um, and the other piece of information that, uh, that that might sort of fall in on the you know the side of, uh, of backing up Ratcliffe's representation is prior statements by NCSC uh, issued by Bill Evanina, in which they they did suggest that Iran had uh, assessed that it was in their national interest uh, for Biden to win and for Trump to not have a second term. Um, So there's lots of sort of, uh, you know, bits and pieces of evidence here and there. And I think one thing we're seeing right now is when you have a DNI who is fundamentally not a credible actor, um, we're sort of left trying to assemble those pieces for ourselves. Um, Really notably, the three other individuals on that uh, on the stage last night, um, who all do have, I think, a high degree of credibility on this subject, 
uh, FBI Director Ray, who went after Ratcliffe, uh, didn't repeat that assertion. And so um, we're trying to sort of uh, create overlapping, you know, what is Ray, what does Ray confirm that Ratcliffe represented? Um, and we're sort of through the looking glass in terms of sifting through this really, really complicated intelligence information in an environment in which uh, we fundamentally do not trust the, the messenger of the intelligence community, who is the DNI. All right. So Quinta, based on all of that, what do we actually believe here? Do we believe that this was not the Proud Boys, but the Iranians? Do we believe that it was the Iranians in an attempt to intervene in the election on the side of Joe Biden, though the email is actually on the side, on its face, by its terms, on the side of Donald Trump? And what do we believe about Iranian versus Russian intervention? Because, of course, they also said that Russia's actively involved. And so how do you construct out of this a sense of what the intelligence actually supports? Well, I think it's important to clarify that subsequent reporting, I think, has made pretty clear that this really was not the Proud Boys, and it really was Iran. Uh, the Proud Boys are innocent? The Proud Boys are strangely innocent. Yes, at least this once. Um, uh, there's reporting by Christopher Bing and Jack Stubbs in Reuters this afternoon on what they call a dumb mistake um, exposing how Iran was involved in this. Essentially, there is a video attachment to some of the threatening emails, and the video shows keystrokes and computer code. Uh, and some of it was essentially insufficiently blurred. And so Microsoft, Google, and the intelligence community were able very, very quickly to track it back to Iran. And one of the reporters on the story, uh, Christopher Bing, actually wrote on Twitter that you know, it's always good to be critical and skeptical around claims of attribution, but this one was, in his words, a slam dunk. Uh, so I don't think there is really any question that Iran is behind this, although certainly, as Susan has pointed out, there's some strangeness around how uh, Ratcliffe presented it. In terms of Russia's involvement, I think that's far less clear. One of the things that I wondered immediately after that press conference wrapped was whether the press conference was going to basically spur a ton of reporting um, as reporters immediately tried to figure out why that press conference was held and what was behind it. And indeed, the New York Times reported also this afternoon that the intelligence community is very concerned about Russia taking action as well, although it doesn't seem like there's anything in particular that Russia has done yet. I mean, I think in in both cases... As Scott says, it's a little hard to figure out what Iran was trying to do here. And I think it's it's tempting to sort of confuse someone trying to play multidimensional chess with someone playing chess badly. But one thing that is really clear is that, you know, if foreign actors are interfering in elections, there is a benefit to just making people confused, uh, which I think is the point that uh, both Ratcliffe and Ray were trying to make last night. And so even there's a paradoxical effect where even sort of talking about Russia potentially trying to interfere can make people afraid that Russia is trying to interfere. And I think that you can see now that 
the intelligence community and reporters are sort of walking a tightrope and trying to communicate the potential threat while not scaring people about the integrity of the vote. So, Scott, is your do you agree basically that there's doesn't seem to be a real dispute as to whether Iran was behind this? And the real question is a why question and whether Ratcliffe was getting ahead of the facts and the intelligence by suggesting their motive? Or is there more at play here than that? No, I mean, I have no doubt about the attribution for the reasons Quinta noted. Uh, you know, it seems like a pretty clear case and people with greater expertise on the technical side seem solidly convinced of that. And that's en- enough for me. Not only that, this this looks like something you could see the Iranians doing. Disinformation is kind of a new enterprise for them. Um, they tend to be much more on the propaganda side, is by my understanding, and from what, what observations I've made, you know, not less so on this kind of clever shaping of public opinion from behind the scenes that we see Russia and other actors do. And this is a kind of a clumsier effort that seems more attributable to that. I think the real question really is less about whether Iran was trying to hurt Trump or help Biden. Uh, it seems pretty clear he's trying to hurt Trump. The real question, though, is that their desire to actually have an impact on the election, or was it more to have another sort of impact on Trump? Uh, again, serve as the sort of provocative act that relates much more to their relationship with the United States and with the Trump administration on the geopolitical level than it does with any sort of direct effort to impact the election. And in all honesty, it could be a little bit of both. They could say, maybe this will help Joe Biden. That's good for me. But reality, we're just trying to give Donald Trump a black eye and doing it in a way that's a little transparent, again, begs that possibility that maybe they'll get some sort of overreaction that will discredit the Trump administration further. And maybe that is what they're hoping will have a greater political impact because that will trigger concerns in the United States. The Trump administration is about to try and start a war with Iran again or whatever overreaction they may pursue that may hurt him more electorally. Um, there are kind of more sophisticated changes here. But it's not always just so easy as to say, well, am I trying to score five more votes for Biden or not? As Which is kind of what DNI Ratcliffe kind of tried to put forward and frame it that way. And I think there's a more sophisticated set of motives behind that, a lot of which has to do with the Trump administration's own policies towards Iran. What I would note here is I think the bigger question is what DNI Ratcliffe was trying to do with this information. As we saw with the NCSC uh, you know, announcements a couple of weeks or months ago at this point, where we had this equivalency come in, where we're talking about Iran, China, and Russia, uh, where we're saying, well, these are the three actors, and some of them are for Trump, and some of them are against Trump. Here we have another case where they're talking about something that Russia has done. They're talking about this accessing the voter registration information, and then they're saying, and Iran did this other thing, and they're really playing up the Iran part. But I'm not sure this Iran campaign would like in the ordinary course be the thing that warrants such a a level of reaction. My question is, you know, does this mean that they are trying to draw attention to the Iran thing while still acknowledging something happening on the Russia front that they don't want to get into, maybe they can't get into, but they still need to bring this equivalency in so that it doesn't look like they're acknowledging that Russia is coming on the part of the president in a way that actually upsets the balance of the election. Here instead, they could say, well, look, some people are in the president's camp, some people are in his opponent's camp, and it's all kind of a wash in the end. Of course, it's not a wash in the end. Russia is a much more sophisticated actor in the space, has much greater capabilities. And, you know, drawing equivalency between Iran is really a false equivalency in a lot of fronts. I think most people would agree with that. China, maybe there's a capability equivalency there, but there's not as much clear motive on the part of China to, to so directly interfere with the election. Lots of other disinformation is without a doubt happening. Uh, but my understanding is the election is a little less clear that they're weighing in one particular side or the other. 
Russia, that, that's a much clearer track record there. And so again, it's this kind of shaping of this information by the DNI that I think is the most interesting and to some extent the most problematic part of this, not the Iran part of the story. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If I could offer you an extra hour a day in your life, what would you do with it? Would you go for a run? Would you sleep in? Would you read? Would you go hang out with a friend? A lot of us spend time wishing we had more time. You actually can create more time for yourself. It's by figuring out what's important to you, making that a priority, and that is where therapy can help you. It can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it and less of the things that you don't care about but you actually waste a lot of time on. Therapy is a great way to prioritize what's important to you, to focus on what matters and dismiss the trivial. It's a great way to learn how to set boundaries and how to develop coping skills. It can help you be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. If you're thinking of starting therapy, why not try BetterHelp? It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. You can make it work with your schedule. All you do is you fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lawfare today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Lawfare. Could your political views make you the target of cybercrime, identity theft, stalking, or even violence? I used to think this was silly, and then weird things started happening to me. Someone defaced my car. It had Lawfare license plates on it. Somebody delivered weird antique postcards of Guantanamo Bay to my house. You know, weird stuff. The volume of personal data online has tripled between 2019 and 2023, and angry individuals fueled by political polarization can access it all for up to 98% of American citizens. And I was one of them. Lots of people were using my name, my home address, uh, other information about me to try to intimidate me. And I wanna say that has dramatically slowed down in recent months. And one of the reasons is delete me. As I have said before, there are products here that I read the ads because you know that's my job. 
And there are products here that I read the ads because I really use them and really like them. And Delete Me is one of the lawfare advertisers that I am most enthusiastic about. And here's why. Uh, it finds and removes personal information I don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from all of the largest search databases on the web. And in the process, it helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. And here's the important point. It doesn't just do it once because the information will get back into the systems. It does it and then it does it again. So the first time I got one of these reports and they send regular reports uh, at Delete Me, you know, there were a whole bunch of systems that I'd come off of. But then each time I get one now, there's still one or two or three that I'm back on the system and Delete Me has once again deleted me. So sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted and their experts will take it from there. And as I say, they send regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they have found, where they found it, and what they removed. It's always working for you constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. When you sign up, they immediately go to work scrubbing all your personal information from data broker platforms. Your personal profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me now at a special discount for Lawfare listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use the promo code lawfare20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and enter code lawfare20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 code Lawfare 20. Yeah, so I think multiple things can be true at the same time. It can both be true that uh, Ratcliffe's statement was fundamentally accurate and also that it was shaped for political purposes and to have a political effect. And I also think it's possible that uh, somebody like Ratcliffe might have seized on uh, the opportunity to make a splashy announcement about Iran and also that there were good reasons for doing so. So one thing that's notable today um, is that the chair and vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Marco Rubio and Mark Warner, uh, issued a joint statement. And in this joint statement, um, they really made a point of noting uh, the need to protect the current integrity of U.S. voting systems and, and the actual systems that we use to vote and to report votes out. And one notable thing about this sort of spoofed Proud Boy email that we now know is from Iran is that it made the representation that we have infiltrated your voting systems. And that's how we know all of this voter registration info, because we have somehow compromised your systems. And it's actually interesting that uh, the Trump administration would draw the line there and feel a need to um, uh, sort of be compelled to speak to the public, because that is precisely the same line that the Obama administration drew in 2016. Even whenever we had all this sort of swirling reporting about the hacking of the DNC, disinformation, 
information, right? All these sort of bits and pieces that were out in ether. Um, you know, the government really stayed mum until October 2016. And that's whenever Politico reported that uh, voter registration systems and election systems in, in Florida and a number of other states had been targeted. And the fear uh, that voters would be worried about the integrity of their actual ballots. So not, you know, October surprises and disinformation and sort of the, the context in which we make our choice about who to vote for and whether to vote, but actually the integrity of the voting system itself. And, and that's where the Obama administration drew the line. And I think it's plausible that the Trump administration uh, drew the line, sort of uh, d- felt compelled to speak out on these uh, about these sort of Iranian uh, Proud Boy emails because of that particular feature and that all things can be true at the same time. Um, sort of separately, I, I think this focus on motivation and the motivation of the foreign actor is uh, a little bit besides the point, right? So had Donald Trump in 2016, had, had Russia did done everything that they did um, and attempted to interfere in the election and did so to benefit Trump and harden Hillary Clinton. And from the beginning, Donald Trump had been absolutely clear um, that he did not welcome this assistance. Uh, he did not believe foreign actors should uh, interfere in U.S. elections. He respected the sanctity and, and integrity of our democratic process. Uh, he didn't seek to benefit from it. And that as president, he would respond firmly to uh, a bipartisan national security crisis. Um, the Russian election interference would have been a big deal, but it wouldn't have been a scandal for Donald Trump. The scandal for Donald Trump was that he welcomed the assistance and he sought to benefit from it. And so now we're sort of in this world in which people are trying to suggest, well, if Iran was trying to help Joe Biden, that somehow tars Biden by association. But it doesn't because Biden has clearly rejected any foreign assistance, has been unequivocal that any foreign governments that interfere in the U.S. election can expect a Biden administration to issue really, really strong sanctions and response. And so sort of falling for the um, the debate about whether or not Iran was really trying to help Biden or really trying to help Trump, as if that was sort of the core question, I, I think that's just kind of missing the point in, in a normal world, in a normal world's uh, sort of absence, the dysfunction of the Trump administration over the past four years, um, we would view election interference, foreign election interference as a bipartisan national security threat. And it wouldn't have these sort of um, uh, political, uh, you know, sort of coloring and ramifications. There's also, I think, one one important thing to note is Reuters also reported today that Ratcliffe has been pushing to declassify some kind of document dating to 2016, early 2017, casting doubt on the intelligence community assessment that Russia had aimed to help Trump in the 2016 election um, at the request of Congressman Devin Nunes and over the strenuous objections of the CIA and National Security Agency. So I think that is worth keeping in mind when we talk about how Ratcliffe is framing uh, election interference in 2020. And I I think that goes back to, because I I wholeheartedly agree with what Susan said about the fact the motives being a little beside the point, maybe when we're evaluating what the proper response is and we're weighing what uh, the reactions of the campaign and the president uh, have been to this. But it really does matter when you're actually evaluating the honest presentation of intelligence, because intelligence of a threat of there being election interference isn't just about capability. It's about capability and intent. It's saying that there is an actor out there who has the ability to impact our elections and is trying to do it and intending to do it. And, And that's really where, again, this account we've been hearing from the administration about election interference breaks down a little bit. Again, Russia, we have an established record. They have 
have intent, or at least they certainly have appeared to have intent in the past, and there's reason to believe they do now, and they have extensive capability, probably some of the best capabilities in the world in the disinformation space. Then we see the other two actors being brought in, China and Iran, and they don't have either. They're kind of being brought in each because each has one. China has the capability, but the intent question there is a little more iffy. My recollection of the NCSC statement from a few weeks or months ago at this point was something to the effect of they concluded that Trump was a little erratic and that was probably worse for them than Biden would be. But that doesn't mean that they're actively interfering in the election. Iran, they say, well, Iran maybe really is actively interfering in the election, or at least is pursuing disinformation that's detrimental to the Trump administration on a variety of fronts against strategic fronts in addition outside of the election context, perhaps as well. But they just don't have the capability. It's there. They do have a disinformation capability. They have broader intelligence capability, but not of the level of sophistication of Russia or I, my strong suspicion is China. I actually want to foot stomp that, this point with a very specific example and then add to it another sense in which the intent of the actor really does matter. So people will remember from the Mueller report that uh, when the Russians pretended to be the Tennessee Republican Party on Twitter, the famed 10 GOP account, it was sufficiently convincing that large numbers of people, including Don Jr. and I think at one point the president himself, interacted with the account, right? And so, you know, the Russians, we, we, we're always warned not to think they're 10 feet tall and everything, but they are really good at this. You know, when the Iranians do this, it took less than 48 hours or whatever for there to be a fairly decisive public attribution. And so I I do think, you know, Scott's point there is very well taken, but there's another sense in which it very much matters, which is, you know, not just from the perspective of the honest presentation of intelligence, but if you're trying to geopolitically understand the behavior of the actor in question, it sure does matter whether Iran is, whether, you know, this is part of the Soleimani uh, retaliation against Trump, uh, whether it's an attempt to you know, hey, the Russians did it. Maybe we can try it too, whether it's just kind of dipping their toes in the water or whether there's some more specific geopolitical objective that they're trying to achieve or whether Ratcliffe is wrong and it's not really directed at Trump. So I think the question of Iranian motivation is a really interesting one, both from the point of view of assessing Ratcliffe's performance, but also from the point of view of understanding what the Iranians are up to. Ben, and I, w- I just want to footstop your point about the post-Soleimani context here, because there is one other factor in Iranian behavior we have to take into account, and that's their own domestic political audiences. Uh, the regime is under a lot of pressure to show signs of striking back at the Trump administration in various ways in the United States, but is also under a lot of strategic constraints in how they can do so. So it's not striking as beyond the realm of possibility that this was an attack that they launched as a little brazen, maybe even knowing that they were likely to be found out because it's something that they can show and say, this is us again, using our sophisticated techniques, you know, in quotation marks, spinning it, saying this is us giving a black eye to President Trump in retribution for the you know Soleimani strike and the whole campaign that he's been launching against Iran throughout most of his administration. Again, there's a broader network of interest at play here than just deciding who wins the 2020 election. 
Yeah, so look, I'm not suggesting it's irrelevant, the motivation, or that it's not interesting. It's just not uh, It's not relevant to the extent um, the debate is focused on uh, whether or not it, it reflects on the candidate, right? And, and that somehow, uh, you know, that that, that should inform uh, sort of our immediate understanding of, of how to, you know, sort of digest the significance of the event. Um, that said, you know, I, to Scott's last point, um, I, I, I do actually think that this is, um, this is sort of a, a significant point. And Scott, I, I'm not sure, um, I don't know whether or not we we agree or disagree on this, but I, I actually think this is a really pretty significant and brazen act by the Iranians. Yeah, it's ham-fisted. Yeah, they made, you know, sort of dumb mistakes, maybe on purpose, maybe they knew they were going to get caught. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, this isn't, you know, troll farms on Twitter. This is sending emails to registered voters, threatening them, um, you know, for casting a vote in a particular way. It's kind of the way they behave toward their own voters. Well, it's it's making a, a clear assertion that they have infiltrated our voting systems, right? I mean, this is not, this actually strikes me as really, really aggressive activity, far more aggressive uh, sort of on the on the disinformation side than, than what, than anything we've really seen uh, Russia be a part of. Uh, the Russian campaign obviously has been far more wide reaching and impactful in its subtlety. Um, but I, I do think that there are separate questions of this is like a really, really aggressive action by Iran and and it demands an independent response and, and sort of, I don't mean to suggest it doesn't matter what are they thinking. It's certainly a top of mind question. What on earth were they thinking in, in doing this? Well, you know, I would just say to that, I, you know, the brazenness of it is one of the reasons why I find it so believable that this was Iran, because the Iranian regime has taken increasingly brazen behavior and acts of provocation towards the United States over the whole course of the last year and a half or two years. So this actually fits really well with that pattern of behavior. It's just a slightly new front, a slightly new method uh, that they can pursue that maybe gets a little more attention among domestic audiences in the United States, maybe gives them a little bit of an angle saying, oh, we're playing this game that Russia's playing as well in their own domestic audience. But it plays in, but it's not a departure for that reason. And again, that willingness to be brazenness, that willingness and desire to be provocative is not really about the 2020 election. It's about the Trump administration's policies and the global geopolitics around that. So again, it's, I'm not sure there's a game talk about election disinformation interference so much as it is about the U.S.-Iran relationship, or at least that's as big a part of it as the other. All right. So do we know anything about how effective this was? I mean, I can see we can call it ham-fisted because you know, a bunch of cognoscenti and, you know, New York Times readers and people who listen to DNI and FBI director press conferences know that it was the Iranians. But if you're somebody who received one of these emails, particularly if you're not a high information voter and you've understood yourself to have been threatened by the Proud Boys unless you vote for change your registration and vote for Donald Trump, I could see it being a pretty menacing thing, uh, particularly if you're not very sophisticated about your emails. Uh, Do we know anything about how many of these emails got through and how many people actually received them? 
So I think that there is preliminary information of sort of people self-reporting um, that they receive these emails. I don't know that the government has released any kind of um, comprehensive numbers. That said, there, there isn't any, any indication that this worked. So uh, there isn't any indication that this actually discouraged, caused somebody to change their voter registration or discouraged them from voting to the extent that it did. Uh, it certainly has, isn't now because there's, you know, a raft of headlines explaining that this is in fact not an email uh, from the Proud Boys. It is not genuinely a threat that uh, anybody is going to uh, act on. Um, so on so on the voter intimidation side, I, I don't think it was a success. And on sort of the reverse psychology logic, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it did produce some sort of negative headlines for Trump for a day or two, and then it was immediately revealed, right? And so anybody who would have been influenced um, in a way that actually changed their voting behavior by, oh my goodness, you know, now that I know that the Proud Boys are threatening Democratic voters in Florida, I'm, I'm definitely not going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, I, I don't think that there's any evidence um, of the impact there. And, and in fact, I actually think this is a pretty good example of the power of just going out there and telling the truth. And, and that actually the one of the strongest, most effective countermeasures is just to expose this stuff and, and unmask it as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I will say Google uh, put out a statement saying that for people who used Gmail, the Google spam filter stopped 90% of the uh, apparently approximately 25,000 emails. Uh, so by that metric, at least, it seems like it wasn't particularly effective. Of course, we don't know how many emails went to people who didn't use Gmail, but at least for those people who did, it seems like most of them probably never even saw the email in the first place. Okay, so Iran gets some number of voters a statement that is relatively quickly debunked and for a lot of people is sitting there in their spam filters along with porn solicitations, uh, dietary supplement solicitations, and requests for Nigerian princes, which brings me back to Scott's why question and Susan's this is very brazen, the combination of brazenness and silliness of it don't seem to me to add up to the the way Ratcliffe described it. And so Susan, I want like, can you give us a sense of how disparate Ratcliffe's presentation here was from that of Ray and Krebs. Yeah, so I think Ratcliffe only significantly deviated kind of on the one line in which he said that uh, this was designed to harm Donald Trump. Other than that, um, they they really were sort of, you know, reading from the same playbook. And I, I don't think that there was a ton of daylight, although there is a huge amount of daylight between, uh, you know, the credibility and reputation of the various individuals in question. Um, and there's a lot of daylight between the things that they've said and done in other contexts, including Ratcliffe's uh far less credible efforts to sort of downplay uh, Russian interference and to suggest, for example, that there's no evidence whatsoever to, to tie uh, uh, Russian actors to the sort of Hunter Biden laptop, uh, you know, debacle. I don't even know what, what sort of term we want to use for it. Um, and we now have reporting to the contrary that, that, that that's not the case uh, within the U.S. intelligence community. Um, you know, so so I, I don't know that he um, uh, dramatically misrepresented 
represented um, uh, you know, the, the state of intelligence as we understand it today. But that subtle difference is, is a big deal because it, it undermines his basic credibility. And that kind of brings us to today. So yeah, the Iranian thing was kind of silly. It was this email. It didn't really have an effect. Um, now we have this kind of sinister report. We have this sinister report that the Russians are uh, engaged in the scanning or penetration or infiltration of some sort of voting infrastructure systems. And what has been what we have long suspected is not that the Russians would be able to actually change vote counts, but that instead they would be able to take actions to create a question about the validity of response uh, of, of results of the election and that they would use the appearance and sort of uh, the, uh, the exaggeration and amplification of their efficacy in order to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of lots and lots of Americans about whether or not this was uh, in fact a valid election and that we did, in fact, elect the person who ultimately prevails on, on November 3rd or whenever we ultimately get the results. And we only have a little bit of information now, this sort of this early leak from the New York Times. Uh, it's highly credible. It's highly significant. And it's a moment in which the credibility of actors in the U.S. government really, really, really matters. It really matters whether or not we have people who can stand up and say, You're, we have no reason to suspect that the integrity of voting systems themselves have been compromised in any way and have broad swaths of the public on both sides actually believe them. And I think we're at a moment in which there are a handful of those people, but they're very, very few and they're being actively undermined by people uh, in the White House and by sort of, you know, their their immediate superiors in some cases and, and other, uh, other cabinet officials. And so I think the real test over the next, you know, sort of two weeks is going to be you know, this most precious and rare thing of a credible U.S. intelligence official, somebody who has preserved their integrity up to this point, they are going to have to spend every ounce of capital they have uh, in order to convince the public that uh, things are as the intelligence community says they are. And um, that is going to be a, a massive test. And it's going to be one that um, we really, really cannot afford to fail. So Quinta, wrap us up here. I agree very much with Susan with what she just said, but there are actually two, not one, but two credibility issues with respect to the people who were up on that podium yesterday. One is the issue we've been discussing about Mr. Ratcliffe, but the other is that, you know, the White House is leaking persistent rumors that the president intends to fire Chris Ray immediately after the election. And there was, a, I believe, a Washington Post story to that effect this morning. And so when Chris Ray goes out there to talk about foreign interference, he's doing it with the shadow of knowing that if he says the wrong thing, the president might fire him. And so you know, I want to say, like, I have no reason to believe that Chris Ray is not telling the truth as he understands it. And I think he's, you know, wouldn't have been my pick for FBI director. And I, there are a lot of things that I would question about the way he's run things. But on, I don't think he's, you know, shaded intelligence. I don't think he's lied. And I think he's served under incredibly difficult circumstances. But I did notice that, you know, we're, he's up there 
Ratcliffe is up there doing the president's bidding or saying things that are, you know, maybe pushing the line toward the president's favored narrative. And Ray knows that the president could fire him at any time or is openly contemplating it. How does that affect the credibility of the intelligence community, you know, in the endeavor that Susan just described? I mean, it can't help but shape our perceptions of it for all the reasons that you've set out. That said, I mean, look, if if I were Christopher Ray and I were in the situation, it does kind of seem to me like I actually don't see what you gain by trying to soft pedal things this close to the election to make the president happy. I think there's, you know, we've seen a lot over the last four years of various people in various roles sort of telling themselves, you know, I have to make compromises, but it's for this greater importance that I need to be, you know, the adult in the room, right, to keep things from going completely haywire. I do feel like when you have less than two weeks to go before the president's reelection campaign, let's say that, you know, Ray refused to go along with some kind of spin of the intelligence and Trump did fire him. If that were to happen right before the election, I cannot imagine that that would redound to Trump's benefit. You know, so if you really want to go out with your head held high, that seems to be a, a pretty good way to do it with a maximum effect. So. With that in mind, I have not been hugely concerned about the extent to which Ray might be changing his behavior to to match this. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I mean, but that's sort of where I'm at. Just with the with the clock ticking down, I don't quite see how much there is for Ray to to yield to that, other than just you know if he wants to remain in the FBI for six more years. We're going to leave it there. Quinta Jurassic, Scott Anderson, Susan Hennessy, thanks so much for joining us. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode is the intrepid Zachary Frank of Goat Rodeo. The Lawfare Podcast is produced and edited by Jen Patya Howell. Its merch is available at thelawfarestore.com. You need to do your part to promote the Lawfare podcast. Tweet about us, share us on Facebook, pin us on Pinterest, upvote us on Reddit, and for heaven's sake, leave a rating or review wherever you found us. Our music is, as always, performed by the one, the only, Sophia Yan, and as always... Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.